Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Gary did over the line on the left wing side. Malenstein moving in, Panzer rebound, they score! Off left wing side, Malenstein's shot in, trading the play was Gersich, and the Amherst can't get a shot away. And there's the horn, as the Bears will pull this one out, and the season comes to a close for the Rochester Americans. Across, Babashev stopped out of Romsky. I think Duclair got a piece of that puck. Duclair will pass, championship. Let's go, Bandits. Five titles now for this storied National Lacrosse League franchise and what a celebration it was for all at KeyBank Center and beyond on Saturday night. Terrific weekend for the Bandits. Terrific season for them and their fan base. And it is so great to be along with you for Sabres Live. Yeah, we're mixing in a little box lacrosse, of course, because it's Championship Monday here in the Queen City. Marty, um, I know your oldest was in attendance at yep. the game, uh, which turned out to be maybe the most stress-free sporting event we have witnessed, especially in that arena for a very long time, as despite having narrow leads of 2-1, after one and four, two after two, this game became a no doubter in the second half and the bandits pulled away to a 13 to four victory and man, did it feel good. It almost was not to say that it wasn't super exciting in the building, but there was almost a sense of relief when yes. people were walking out. It wasn't the craziness of Sabre overtime victories in game six against Carolina in 2006. It was just relief, respect, joy, pride, you name it. And that is a unique feeling in these parts. And I'll say this, um, congratulations to the Bandits, their players, their front office coaches, everybody that's part of this unbelievable uh, product that they put on and off the turf. Um, it's absolutely fun. Um, and if you were watching it on the CW23 or on ESPN Plus or on TSN or on any ways you watched it, the amount of time they made a comment about how this experience, this fan experience in Banditland is like, is unlike any others around the National Lacrosse League, right? And that has been uh, a reason 
why the players love to play for the bandits and love to play in front of the fans in Buffalo and why they, they like you walk into the building and you can feel the orange, like from everybody, right? It's not just a, a few people here and there. It's everybody black and orange everywhere. So it's amazing. Dane Smith, again, unbelievable game MVP. Josh Byrne returning after missing the first two. Uh, and his goal at the end of the first quarter, like, how play to the whistle, play to the buzzer. Like, I, so I was watching it on my phone at the time. And when the, the shot was taken and a ball bounced in the air, everybody was speaking as though the, 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 the quarter was over. And then there's a goal. And you're like, what happened? And the green light is on behind the goal. So you're thinking, well, yeah. it probably didn't go in at the right time. But Josh Burns' impact obviously was significant um, that he jumped up to get that ball and fired it with 0.3 seconds left in the in the quarter to get mm -hmm. the 2-1 lead, which was about the most stressful part of the game. The 1-1 first quarter, then you get 2-1, and then you get your game going. Um, that was, to me, the, the if there was a turning point, if there was a Sabres Live turning point of the game, the Josh Byrne goal is it. Dayoga opened the scoring with a stunner as he cut oh, through yeah. traffic. You mentioned Burns' goal, which did, in fact, give them that last lead that they would need to nurse home the entirety of the way. Mm -hmm. They never trailed in the contest. The interesting, Another interesting aspect of that Burn goal was it actually deflected in yes. off the Colorado defender, which is not a normal thing in lacrosse because you just you usually have some sort of an open lane to shoot, which is why you shoot ultimately. Yes, there are deflections, but that one really gave the netminder no chance as uh, Ward as, as time was winding down. But Byrne returns and scores four goals. The fact that Matt Vince was not the MVP yes. on the heels of a night where he allowed the fewest goals in a championship game only speaks to the greatness of Dane Smith and the fact that no one has ever scored more points in an NLL playoff run, nor in a championship series. All he had was nine in the final game, <laughs> you know, and it was like he was just adding on at the end just to, hey, we still need a little more. We need a little more. And but it ultimately became an incredible team effort. Max Adler's goal five seconds off the faceoff after they had scored, I think, was the the biggest release of relief in the crowd because at that point it made it twelve to four, and people felt like, okay, I think we finally have this, even though there's seven and, minutes or six minutes left in the game, whatever it was. So, and we had Ian McKay on the show last week. Right? There were a lot of friends in the show that were celebrating at Keybank. We're celebrating Let me tell you. absolutely, but I was. So again, like mesmerized with the play of Matt Vince and that because of his positioning and how he used his body, but the Colorado goaltender and how challenged, um, or I should say how he challenged the, 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 the ball carrier. And he was so out in the crease. And I remember Ian McKay talking about it and saying, Hey, our scouting report is he's a different type of goaltender and he's tough to beat um, because of how aggressive he is. So I thought that was uh, one of the, the the coolest thing, like when I'm watching and I'm like, oh, look at the different style. And we talked to Ian about this uh, previous. So, yeah, it was uh, it was cool. It's cool <laughs> that they have a championship. It's cool to see on social media them celebrating after. Oh. It's cool that the fans were hanging out. I ended up calling my son after the game, maybe a half hour after. And I could hear the chants and he's still in the arena. Yeah. He's buying a championship T-shirt. And uh, they were out there. People were waiting in line for them. Um, yeah, it's it's congratulations. It is fun to uh, to see this here in Buffalo.
And the party will continue. And we'll give you those details later on in the show when, in, in many ways, although he is not the general manager, but in many ways, the architect of all of this mm-hmm. from a bandit's perspective joins us at the bottom of the hour. And um, that is Scott Loeffler, of course. And I'll tell you what, immense pride. And he'll share more details on everything. And boy, it was really nice to hear John Gertler have that opportunity to call after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of consecutive games behind the mic for this Bandits franchise. And it's funny, you know, as a broadcaster, um, especially in a game like lacrosse, it's almost always high drama right down to the last second. It's a very odd feeling when you're calling a blowout (laughs) game in a championship, you know, because like we know, <laughs> we've known for 10 minutes this is yeah. going to happen, you know? Like, you got to so... keep the energy up and you got to keep people engaged and yeah. all that. So it's... that's a challenge. I'll say this. And another yeah. thing I wanted to say before I forget. Um, so the bandits tweet out an Instagram post like champions, right? Mm-hmm. And I decide to read through the comments because the bandits fans are going like nuts and all that. And I'll say this. I don't know how many people in Colorado are watching us right now or listening mm-hmm. to us or Mammoth fans. But very classy responses by Colorado Mammoths fans on the Bandits thing saying, hey, you guys played an amazing game. You were better than us. Uh, you know, congrats to Bandit land. Like, they, there was no negative comments. Like, it's one of those games where, okay, you guys had us, beat us fair and square. Like, it was – so I, I, I took note of that because in a world where everybody's wanting to be angry on social media and whatnot – even if you lose at the highest of level when you follow a team, you can still lose in a graceful way. And I think that that was the case for not only the Mammoth, but their fan base as well. Yeah, the only disappointment I sensed throughout the night was the number of people that were um, sad that you were nowhere near my presence. So your absence was felt. And uh, it was that was on many a nights in Rochester this year, too. But you and I were there on Friday. Yes. For what was the end of their season, unfortunately, in a narrow one nothing defeat at the hands of the Hershey Bears, who are now still awaiting their opponent in the Calder Cup final, which will begin later this week. Currently, they are poised to face Coachella Valley as the Firebirds have a 3-2 series lead on Milwaukee. There was but one goal. And it was off the pads of Subban and a rebound put back. And uh, there it was for uh, Sam Gersich, who has not played the entirety of the games for the Bears, but earned his keep in this series and scored his first and only of the playoffs so far. And Marty, we will have all week and obviously all summer to dissect even further everything about the Amherst, um, where they're at, what their season ultimately means to the Sabres as far as graduation of prospects. My big picture analysis and or question that would come out of this series, which is a 4-2 loss to Hunter Shepard and the Bears. And by the way, Shepard, only twice in these playoffs have he and the Bears allowed more than two goals in a game. Yeah. Both were against the Amherst and both times he responded with a shutout. But he didn't get the shutout entirely, in my opinion. The big picture question is Hershey's ability to play old style hockey. Is this potentially still a problem for the game moving forward that defense can win the day over a better offensive team 
multiple I, times like we saw in this series. Yeah, you know, look, I, I, it depends on what level you're talking about. In the, in, the, in the American League, sometimes, depending on roster constructions and veteran players and younger players, you may have to adjust and mm. who you're playing against, right? I felt like it wasn't so much what Hershey did defensively as much as I really think the Amherst ran out of energy, ran out of juice. Like I, they did have some chances like Mason, the ops on a breakaway. They had some good looks, um, but I felt like they did not have the same jump that I saw them have in game five that I saw them have in game one and really in game four as well, when they were up to nothing up until 10 minutes left in the game. So um, but a lot of it also comes to, this is the American league. And so they played Wednesday night in Hershey and they traveled by bus up until 4am they get in. Like it takes a lot out of players at that level in the NHL, you're in your charter or you're staying overnight and flying out the next day because you mm -hmm. have the, you know, the luxury of flying to locations, depending on there's all these sleep studies and all yeah. of that, that, that makes it where you're at yeah. your best. You have your best of energy. I just felt like the Amherst ran out of juice, ran out of energy in game six, which if they had their full, you know, gas tank to a hundred percent, I still don't think that Hershey had an answer. They, they would limit the chances, but yeah, the Amherst were able to, to score and score plenty. As you just mentioned, twice they were able to get over the two goal threshold that Hershey was limiting things at. So I think the Amherst full energy would have been okay. Um, and this turned out to be a low energy and for both teams. Like it's a one nothing yeah. game. And I think both teams were, were sluggish in that department. Yeah. I mean, uh, ultimately the Amherst did have the edge in shots in the game 24 to 19. The, the, if you could ever, narrow down a sporting event to one instance, which you can't, but the, uh, if not turning point, disappointment, Mark, was the failed five-on-three for almost 90 seconds late in the second period. That, based on the hallmark of the Amherst being offense and power play success in the last round, they were being afforded a glorious opportunity to get the game even heading into period number three, or maybe even take the lead, because I felt like the turning point of their series against Syracuse in the opening round was a 4-4 game with five yep. minutes to go in the third period. They scored twice in a five-on-three. They won eight to five, and they ended up going off on a seven-game win streak. So yep. I was sitting there going, okay, this is a golden, obviously, opportunity, and it went by the board. All the key players in this season, incredible season for the Amherst. Uh, and by the way, obviously, the hockey season continues. The Golden Knights are up one game to none. Game two is tonight, and we will dive into the NHL and obviously take all your input on Amherst, NHL, Bandits, always, today, every day, at Sabres Live on Twitter. Every critical key person in this uh, run for the Amherst addressed the media over the course of the weekend through locker cleanout and, you know, that terribly difficult time of saying goodbye right yeah. nobody wanted this to end the reality was there it was there in game four 10 minutes to go mm -hmm. could have tied the series it slipped away they got reignited with a game five win game six one goal deficit big deal right you're going to find a way you're going to find a way going to find a way they didn't find a way season comes to a bit of an abrupt end we have endless sound that we can share throughout the course of this week on individual players but the person most responsible, and this is, I would say, universally agreed upon for the team having the success that it's had, 
is head coach Seth Appert. Yes. General manager of the Amherst and assistant GM of the Buffalo Sabres is Jason Carmanos. And he addressed the incredibly important topic of coaching at this level on the weekend. You know, I can't say it enough how, uh, how impressed uh, we are, you know, as an organization with the job that, that all the coaches have done uh, with this group here, um, you know, in particular the last couple of seasons. But um, Seth in particular, as a head coach, uh, I've been around a lot of head coaches at this point in my career. He does, he is easily the best at balancing what you just uh, referred to there, that, that, you know, that delicate balance between development and winning, um, you know, the, the pushing, uh, pushing of the right buttons on a daily basis, um, you know, and, and dealing with each individual uh, and how each individual responds and figuring out ways to, to motivate um, not only, you know, the group as a whole, but individuals within that group. Um, the ability of the coaching staff and Seth in particular to deal with, you know, 30 plus players around, you know, and, and paying special attention to every one of them. Um, I, I, it's a, it's a really special environment, um, that I certainly can't take credit for at all in any way. The coaches are here on the ground every day, building that relationship with the players from day one. Um, it's just like the last question that Mike answered about Savoy coming in. There's a trust level there between the players and the coaches in particular um, that they understand, even though maybe they might be a little frustrated at times if they're out of the lineup or if they're maybe not getting as much ice time. There's a trust level that if they put in the work and they do what they're told and improve and take steps to get better each day, uh, that the coaches are going to reward them. And, and that's the process we, we really want throughout the organization. We want, we want the guys that want to be here, uh, that want to be a part of our future going forward, that come here each day with the intention to get better. Um, and the coaches make that happen. And they've just done a fantastic job. I mean, just nothing short of a fantastic job. The, the growth of certain individuals from start to finish is remarkable. So it's... Uh, it's really exciting for us, uh, uh, you know, in the organization to watch uh, to watch it unfold. And it's, uh, you know, it's just been a, two years in a row of the same thing where virtually every player on the roster has gotten better. Just, just amazing stuff. So it's really, really encouraging. Love that. Could listen to yes. that answer endlessly. <laughs> it's everything you want to feel about your players who either are on entry-level contracts with hopes still of going to the NHL or who are on different types of contracts but still playing an enormous role in development. I think of next year already, Marty, the likelihood of Cedarquist, Rosean, Noichev, maybe Kulik, uh, Nadeau, Kisikov, Kozak, we don't know because they need contracts like Weisbach, Murray, Rusek, you know, but you could potentially have Malone coming back. That would help Byro, who remains under contract, although his challenge would be clearing waivers next year. Yeah. Um, Mersh is under contract. He's mm -hmm. the captain of all of this, you know, and you've got a defense core now that you can realistically look at right now. And obviously there's going to be endless change and we'll talk about it down the road, but Ryan Johnson is now under contract. Yes. Ethan Prow, the veteran is still under contract. 
Zach Metza, who just got better and better and better in his it first play. Good. He's under he's under contract. Mm. Novikov, recent signing as a draft pick out of the KHL, is under contract. You've got Jandrick, who only got to play one game after he came out of college, is under contract. That's a handful of guys right there. This is exciting. Like hey, you can you forget already... the position. You forget a position, and we don't know. But that could be could be <laughs> yeah. Devin Levi there. That could be anybody. We don't yeah. know. Like how this is all going to shape up. Yeah, um, I think this. Look, I love the answer, Jason Carmano saying everybody got better the last two years, mm-hmm. year after year. So because the AHL's role in an organization is development. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that. That's your number one priority is development. But there's a winning aspect to it. So not only did they get better. They got a step further and they're still looking to get steps ahead, right? So that's how you build development and you build a winning attitude and winning culture. And it's a lot of names, isn't it? To contemplate that are likely going to be in place. Like that's, that's what's impressive here. And then you think, okay, how do they fill in the blanks? But the two teams, arguably, that filled in their personal needs the best this year, whether before the season or in season, are going head-to-head right now. They are the Panthers. They are the Golden Knights. They obviously both, like any team at this stage, requires a lot of good fortune for things to ultimately put them here. The Panthers found that out in round one. Somehow, some way, they escaped a 3-1 series deficit against the best regular season team ever, and now they are staring down a 1-0 deficit in the Stanley Cup final, to which their coach responded, just bleeping breathe. Yeah. So the whole media uh, room to relax. He's like, you guys have been here for too long now, too anxious. Everybody takes a breather, relax. But it is, I I, I don't know if it's ironic, the right word, but maybe a coincidence that the Vegas Golden Knights first appearance in the Stanley Cup final had the Braden Holby paddle save on Alex Stuck, right? And then Aiden Hill, who is Aiden Hill? People are going to say, well, if you've been One tree hill, baby, let's go. Yeah, one tree hill made a very similar paddle save a minute into the second period on Nick Cousins. Almost like it was frozen in time. And, you know, Florida on game one. Oh, sorry, froze a little bit. That's my freeze, my one freeze per per episode. Um, Florida went one game one against Toronto and went up three nothing. One game one against Carolina went up three nothing, and now they had a chance to go up two one in the game. And Nick Cousins has a wide open four by six, and it hits Aiden Hill's paddle, and he made the save. And obviously, they ended up, uh, you know, Florida ended up losing the game. And that's how did they a- not cash in on the rebound after the paddle? Oh, everybody was kind of... Yeah, but the Vegas everywhere. defender who got the stick in was unbelievable. Like, that might be even better than the actual save. Well, no, Sorry, because my voice they, is a little gone from Pride Parade and <laughs> Bandits win. <laughs> no, I'm going to say this. Um, if the first save doesn't happen, nothing after matters, right? So, but this is one heck of a play to find Cousins in the slot. And he stopped, but the puck was just not setting down for him to be able to put it back. Um, but that was the, you know, it's, I... I did a little thing on, on, on TSN about this and you know, saves that could change a series, right? Yeah, and we yeah. talked about Holby's save on Alex Tuck in uh, 2018. Remember <laughs> Sergei Bobrovsky on Kucherov in or 2019? Pominville saving himself. Himself, <laughs> yes. That was a double save. But that was in the playoffs. I know. Thanks so, for the reminder. But you, you, so you have like Bobrovsky at the other end. And oh, I did that too in game five against Boston when Marchand came in on a breakaway with two seconds left. And Bobrovsky's done it against uh, Kucherov in Tampa Bay the year they swept them. Yeah. Um, and then I finished it with the 
Patrick won 93, right? Because mm-hmm. in game four, 2-2 two, two late in the third, he made the save on Sandstorm and gave him the wink. I'm like, Aiden Hill's not winking at anybody. He doesn't have the luxury to wink at anybody. But uh, yeah, so it was kind of fun to go down, you know, memory lane and all these game-saving uh, moments, right, by goaltenders like the one by Hill. Yeah, it's pretty great. Petrangelo, obviously, star-worthy just for that follow-up save. White Cloud, though, was the game's number one star in-house, followed by Stone and Hill, yet it was another multi-point game for Eichel. It's a 5-2 win, ultimately, in what was an even-up third period, so clearly the score is probably not indicative of what the actual game was like. And there was... Was there fake toughness, Marty? There was fake toughness. I thought of you, Duffer. And it was funny because... So, in game... Four of the Boston uh, Florida Wasn't it game series. Three? Wasn't it game no, three it when they're game... punking them at the end? Like maybe it's game three or game four. One of those two. Boston. Oh no, you're was right. Winning. Game four to take the. Yeah, yeah. I think it took right. a three-one yeah, lead, yeah. and then Kachuk is fake tough and going after Lena Solmark and all of that. Right. So in game one, uh, halfway in the first period, you know Sam Bennett is over Aiden Hill, and then. Aiden Hill pushed Sam Bennett and Nick Cousins came in. Hey, Nick Cousins probably shouldn't have done that because, you know, hockey gods made Aiden Hill save that one early in the second. But he pushed Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill came back, gave him a couple of shots. Kachuk was in there. Actually, Radko Gudas got his foot and skate tangled up on the takedown and had to miss a big mm-hmm. part of the game. If Radko Gudas is not 100%, that affects the way that Florida plays with their group of six defensemen. So there was some fake toughness, but Vegas was very smart of not getting involved as much in the fake toughness by Florida. Actually, Vegas ended up on the power play after Nick Cousins was the only one getting chase for roughing on Aiden Hill. I need producer Jeff to check the chat function here just to make sure we're uh, good to go here. But we were talking about Amherst, and we will obviously get back to NHL Stanley Cup final discussion here as the, um, you know, the rest of the show continues. But we would be remiss <laughs> if in yes. our very first segment here on Sabres Live to start the week, we didn't tip the cap. This, by the way, brand new. Thank you, DJ, over at New Era. Cap that I picked up today that is technically not a Bandit's cap, but boy, does it look like a Bandit's cap. So it's B for Buffalo, right? But it has orange and it looks great. Or B for Bandit's or B for Biron. For Brian. Yeah. Uh, You had to mention Brian because that's my favorite goalie equipment is the Brian's gear. But yes, how about Sevi Komarov? It's also your first name. Yeah, (laughs) but nobody ever calls me that. Um, Uh, Sevi Komarov. Amazing. Yes. Unexpected development. Marty, he scores the game-winning goal for Quebec in the Memorial Cup. And this recently signed Sabre Blue Liner, who, unfortunately, like Matt Savoy, won't be eligible to play in the AHL next year. Um, He does walk away with a Memorial Cup title under the guidance of Patrick Waugh and thanks to his multi-point game over Seattle in the closer. Well, the game-winning goal ended up being the one nothing goal, right? Uh, Quebec wins it 5 nothing, But on a defensive zone face-off, Sevi Komarov just decides to join the rush and make it a two-on-one. He got a nice pass as a right-hand shot coming down the right wing. He lets it go over the glove. Nice celebration after that. Very emotional moment. Perfect I mean, camera I, framing moment, right? Like perfect. Just right just into right it. there. Yeah. I, 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 look, I, I was a part of the Memorial Cup in 97 with the Hall Olympics, mm-hmm. and we won. I didn't play much, but I know the energy, the emotions. Did you play more than your World Juniors? 
No, I played less. I played eight seconds in the World Juniors. I didn't play any. I looked over to Claude Julien. Hey, can I go in? And Claude was like, nah. We have we have Christian Bronsard in that. And the guy was the oh. MVP, so he played well. But anyway, oh, uh, great on Sevi Komarov and the way that he played, getting the championship. Great on Patrick Roy. Look, he's been coaching juniors for years now. Went to Colorado, came back to coach the Quebec Ramparts and the team mm -hmm. that he owns part of it too. Um, mm -hmm. That was his last junior game. He said he will not coach again next year. The door yeah. is opening now to potentially come back in the NHL. Although chairs are being filled up really quickly. And we do have some breaking news when it matters to a team we don't care about. But anyway, Patrick, well, congratulations, Quebec. Simone Gagne, my former teammate with Philly, is on the bench as an assistant coach too. Congrats mm -hmm. to him. But uh, it was uh, another one of those not a lot of emotions in the game because it was 5 nothing. 10 seconds. Deliver the breaking news. Breaking news. The Anaheim Ducks have hired Greg Cronin as their yes. head coach. Cronin was the Colorado Eagles AHL head coach, and then he was also an assistant with the Leafs, uh, with other teams. But um, a name that we did not hear in the coach carousel, it came out of nowhere that Col the Anaheim would go and get Greg Cronin as their head coach. All right. Perhaps unsurprisingly, this week's opening segment brought to you by Spalding Lake Wi-Fi. We're back after this to talk more bandits and their championship, their fifth in franchise history. Scotty Loeffler, after the break, stay with us. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.